Hello and welcome to the Leading Through Uncertainty podcast series. I'm your host, Jude Jennison from Leaders by Nature. And in this podcast, I interview leaders from different organisations and industries to find out more about the challenges they face in leading through uncertainty and how they overcome them. This week, I'm interviewing Tim Kay, the director of KPMG's tech and media practice in the Midlands. Tim was tasked with exploring how KPMG could work more closely with tech startups in London several years ago, and he shares some of the challenges that large organisations face in working with fast-paced entrepreneurial businesses, and the benefits to both. So welcome, Tim, and thank you for joining me today. Uh, Would you like to explain who you are and what you do? So I'm Tim Kay, I work at KPMG in the UK, uh, current role is I lead our tech and media practice in the Midlands. Mm-hmm. Okay, and what are your experiences of leading through uncertainty? Yeah, so it, it, it's a bit of a strange one, so my the first 10 years of my career were sort of traditional KPMG, big four, consulting, big global projects, all very interesting, um, and then the back end of 2011, um, in London, uh, got the chance to go and set up our, uh, well, what turned into our high-growth technology group, um, but effectively answering the question, what should KPMG do with startups? So that was blank piece of paper. KPMG, 130-year-old at the time, big full professional services firm, what should we do with these nimble, fast-moving technology startups? Yeah, and I imagine that's quite an interesting transition to go from being a you know a legacy business working with large corporations to suddenly look at the other end of the spectrum, and particularly given the climate of what's happening with technology at the moment as well. Yeah, and I think it was uh, it, it, it it was an interesting journey, and is still going on actually. Mm-hmm. So what seven or eight years later, um, but I think the big piece that became very apparent very quickly was we were actually asking the wrong question. Right. Um, and it, it's one of those things that looking back, I think you're allowed to say it now that you're looking back on it six or seven years, but it was obvious it was the wrong question. But until we actually started doing something and actually started going into this market that was, as you say, these fast-moving tech companies, sitting in a archetypal glass shiny building, mm-hmm. you don't even know what the question is. Mm-hmm. So actually a lot of the you know, first six or nine months of what we were doing was just asking really stupid questions. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's really uncomfortable. It's really uncomfortable generally. It's really uncomfortable for a big professional services firm yeah. where actually our day job is knowing what the answer is. And do you think it's more difficult then for a, for a large professional services firm than it is for a, for a startup? I think it's it, not just professional services from any large corporate mm. has basically built their business on knowing what the answer is mm. and therefore trying to go in, in this case, sort of into a new segment or into a new market where you have to start with, we probably don't know mm. what's going on. And it's sort of that very open and almost sort of, oh, goodness. And uncomfortable you, position yeah and I think that's the thing isn't it is that that um it's easy to shy away from the from the discomfort and I think particularly in larger organizations and yet now we don't really have much choice we have to face that uncertainty head-on and we have to accept the fact that things are moving at a faster pace so what what did you learn from that I think 
we as an organization learned a lot. Mm. I personally learned a lot, um, which we might come on to. Um, but I think as an organization, um, we learned that actually fundamentally what we were trying to do was right. So the whole ethos of this was there are early stage tech companies which um, probably need our guidance and advice because they're focused on the technology, they're focused on building um, a product and business and there's lots of other things that go on within an early stage tech business that aren't about the code and what your customers think, mm-hmm. all that finance and business pace. What was um, interesting, once we sort of got over what the question was or should have been, um, was the knowledge we had in in the four walls of KPMG was absolutely appropriate, but it needed to be reshaped and be rethought in terms of how it gets delivered, hence the team that got set up, um, where we sort of decided to play in relation to KPMG is how big service offering actually this isn't about taking all of KPMG, it's about taking some really um, focused elements of what we do into that market because that's what's really relevant. Mm. And then build out from there as opposed to sort of saying, well, you know, we've got all of this, let's just squeeze it into a slightly different look and feel. It's mm. like, I don't know, actually there are some really interesting bits of our business, let's take that, package that up and put it into that, that segment. Um, but again, that's not necessarily a straightforward process. No. And what would so what what did you learn about that process that um, would be your advice to other organizations who are wanting to work with startups? Because lots of you know lots of big corporations now have got um, you know are investing in startups and are working with them. So what what did you learn that you can pass on that will help them speed up the process? <laughs> <laughs> and, ease, and ease their pain, if you like. <laughs> yeah. So I think, and this sounds really basic and, and simple and, and not world-changing, but know what you're doing it for. Mm-hmm. And I think there's, uh, there's a phrase going around at the minute, actually, which is innovation theatre, which is effectively lots of corporate want to be involved with startups. Mm-hmm. The interesting thing is that's absolutely fine Mm -hmm. Um, because if you just want to give, you know, your employee base a view of what's going on in a really interesting and exciting world, absolutely fine. Lots of benefits to that. But don't try to position that as we're doing this to strategically reshape what our core business does. Right. If you want to reshape your business strategically, you're going to have to do it differently than just having a little outreach program into the startup community. So I think fundamentally just be clear on what you want to do. Mm. Not least because it helps in, in the market and how you position yourself in terms of what you want to do. But fundamentally, um, in any big organisation, you're going to have you know politics and you're going to have hidden agenda. Or not hidden agenda. Well, yeah, hidden agendas and open agendas. Um, and it, those are much easier to navigate if you're just consistent and clear in, mm. well, this is what we're doing. This is why we're doing it. And therefore, when it comes back into the big organisation, the, the the corporate actually you can say well look we are investing in this because we want to showcase our people we want to you know improve their entrepreneurial mindset we want to look for new products whatever it happens to be but just mm-hmm. be clear yeah um and actually that was probably the biggest learning we had from the first sort of nine or twelve months mm. 
was I and the team had the air cover at home in, in KPMG to go and do that discovery right. before we then had to come back and say, this is what we're going to do. And I, I would hypothesize that if we didn't have that, we would have gone down a track, which was we were trying to do these, you know, 17 different things mm. and we would have failed out. So. Mm. so did you find there were challenges in terms of the, the pace of the way that startups were moving versus the pace of working in in a large organisation? Because there's a lot, you know, there's a lot more bureaucracy in a large organisation, understandably, and there's a lot more people involved to communicate with. So did you find that was a challenge? So it was, it, it was certainly one of the main things we had to overcome. Mm. So if you look at what the the team that was in Shoreditch did, it was obviously, it was market-facing, it was out talking to lots of businesses, lots of investors, lots of sort of local government, government bodies. But then it was meant to be the window into the KPMG service offering. So actually that was one of the key um, resolutions of the problem that you just described, mm. which is instead of these fast fast moving companies trying to navigate the 13 and a half thousand people that is KPMG, actually all they need to do is navigate that one place. Right. It's then it was then incumbent on us to then go and navigate the yeah. 13 and a half thousand people. And how did you do that? Um a bit of a mix actually. So I, I was fortunate, I mean, by the time I'd taken on that role, I had been in the firm for ten years, so I knew quite a few bits mm. of the firm from my career, but also just from the network I had. And actually if you look at the team we created created sounds as if there was a grand strategic plan I'm not sure there was um, but actually they came from lots of different parts of the firm right so they all brought a network with them mm. so you know it's a classic two degrees of separation mm. piece and it was how do you how do you get to that point versus you know picking up metaphorically picking up from the switchboard and going I have a problem um, so so that was certainly one of the solutions was actually build a team which is um, as best representative representative of the of the firm, right? Um, but interestingly, that was sort of the byproduct. That that team and their background was a byproduct of we need the right people. Yeah. On a sort of why do they want to do it? They want to take the risk because we were taking individuals out of what was a fairly traditional career path mm-hmm. and saying, well, let's go into this team which has probably been in a, you know, the team probably started to come into existence properly you know, maybe nine months after we started this process mm. so we were saying take that leap from the big glass shiny building into a grey box in Jordan. Um and we needed people to want to do that this mm. wasn't about saying well I'm going to take you you and you and mm. you can come whether you like it or not it was they, they self-selected mm. and then that meant they were motivated to go and find that answer right. when the, the client or the company came yeah. to us and said oh well and what were the motivations for people wanting to work on that? Um, again, I think it was a bit of a mix. Um, you know, personally, I was looking for a change. Mm-hmm. And actually, funny enough, I was. the reason I joined KPMG is still the reason I'm here, which is it's a big firm and you get to do lots of different things if you ask the right questions. And so there are definitely people like that, and I was one of them. There were people who just had a personal interest in the sector and then we put this team in 
place and it's like, oh, great, I can now have a professional input into that as well. Um, the sort of ultimate expression of that is, you know, there are three or four members of that original sort of cohort of team have gone from traditional KPMG into that team and then into industry, in inverted commas, i.e. into early stage tech businesses. Right. So it was obviously something that either um, piqued their interest or accelerated their interest mm-hmm. into that. So that was good. So yeah, a bit of a mix, to be honest. Right. Um, but definitely much more about motivation rather than traditional capability. Yeah. Nobody, nobody had on the business card post, uh, sorry, pre that team, you know, startup advisor. Yes. There was, there was no, I, it wasn't as if I could look down the directory and go, oh yes, there are the six people or whatever it was. So. Yeah. So what did you, what did you personally learn from that experience? That I knew very little. <laughs> um, but it's, it, it's true. Mm. So I, up to the point of, of running that team, I think if anybody had looked at my career to that point would have said, that's reasonably successful, it's traditional KPMG, running big global teams. Um, but of course the other piece about big professional services firms back then, <laughs> I sound very old, back then, um, was we are built, and most corporates are built actually, on giving relatively narrow uh, solution sets, mm-hmm. i.e. we are built on having deep expertise in very narrow pockets, which we then add up with lots of narrow pockets and then we create. Yeah. When we went into this segment, that wasn't right. This was about being broad and shallow, mm-hmm. <laughs> in the best sense of the word, mm-hmm. which was, you know, the management team would come to us and say, we want to grow internationally. Okay, there's lots of different components to that. Mm. It's not just a very specific tax question. It's mm. a, how do you grow strategically? Which markets do you go into? How do you hire people? And actually that's quite a change from the background that I had, which was in forensic or, or consulting, where it was a very narrow pace. Mm. So you had to learn to broaden yourself out like that and just have those big, wide-ranging conversations. Mm. Because of course, the other piece, um, of the jigsaw in terms of not knowing what the question was. We didn't know what the question was. Yeah. You can be certain that the management team of those companies probably didn't know what the question was mm-hmm. they wanted to ask us. So we were trying to tease that out of them. The only way you can tease that out of them is to really understand the business and what they want to do. So it's definitely that pace. Um, and then again, there's sort of, there's definitely this sort of professional, personal tie up, which was, I had to get really comfortable surrounding myself with people who knew infinitely more than I did mm. about whatever it was the topic was mm-hmm. we were talking about. And that's quite a shift, isn't it? It was, yeah. because, as I said, you know, the, the sort of previous three jobs I'd had in sort of traditional career were clients would come to me for the answer. Mm. And not only would clients come to me for the answer, but the team would come to me. It's like, oh, right, I, don't, I have no idea what this answer mm. is. You go and find it out and go and see what the solution is. Mm. Um, so... Yeah, that is a, so a big shift. And, yeah. that, and that's, it, that doesn't matter whether you're in professional services or corporate. Mm, it, mm. it is, you're, if you're going to do something that is new, you're going to have to appreciate that 
the chances are you're not going to know all the answers because if you did then somebody would already know. And I think that is uncomfortable for people isn't it is that that not knowing because you know a lot of people that that I work with they they have this desire to be in control and to know the answers and and to move forward when they've got all the answers and all the ducks lined up but I think actually even you know the the long-standing large corporations are shifting massively from we've got all the answers to we're investing in new products and services. We're changing the way we do things. Um, so how do you how do you upskill the rest of KPMG, for example? How do you upskill the rest of an organisation to get more comfortable with being uncomfortable? Yeah, it is the it is the conundrum, isn't it? Which I, I think it was the one bit. I'm not sure we have yet solved fully, mm. and I'm, I, I know absolutely I didn't solve when I, I was involved in that team, was we knew what we were doing. We knew what we were doing was different, and we knew what we were doing was different and correct. It was then, obviously, how do you translate that into something that not made sense, That that's slightly um, slightly pessimistic on my colleagues' ability to understand what we were doing, but translate it into something that looked and felt like a KPMG business plan mm. and some metrics that they understood. Um, and that was real for them. And yeah, yeah, because I think, and coming back to the question, until you can do that, you mm. can't make the link between this new stuff over mm. here mm. and how it relates to you know, whatever the business strategy is that mm. you're, you're trying to achieve. Um, and as I said, I'm, I'm not sure I ever quite got it right. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a lot of communication in terms of what we were doing, why we were doing it. This was a long-term piece for us. Um, and and that got us so far. Um, I don't think we maybe did enough. To be honest, I mean, we're talking five, six years mm, ago. Mm. You know, I'm not sure we did enough in terms of looking at some of the other metrics. Sorry, other metrics, non-financial metrics mm-hmm. that these were driving that were beneficial to the firm. Right. You know, the network we were making. Look, you know, we identified these ten companies who, in eighteen months, have grown this much. You know, mm. you, you've got mm. to look at well, actually, what are the motivations of the the mothership? Yeah. Well, if it's not gonna, if you're not gonna be able to provide the sort of traditional metrics, which for us is obviously fee income, what's the next level down? What 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 are those key components that mm. are going to be the leading indicators of this is a good idea, but because our time skills were longer because we were looking at a very early stage and we wanted to be with them all the way through, actually, what were those leading indicators that said this is a good idea mm. and what we are doing is is going down that path. Yeah. So that, that was probably the biggest piece. And do you think that's um, a challenge for the startups as well, in terms of when they're working with larger organisations, being able to demonstrate that? Yes, I think it is. Mm. And I think you can see it um, if you sort of compare and contrast. I mean, you sort of slightly generalising here, but you can see, you know, early stage businesses who have been set up by 
sector veterans is, is the word that's going through my head, but you know, they've got some sector expertise and actually they've sat in you know, financial services or retail and gone, that's a problem. Mm. And actually we can solve that, but we can only solve it by setting up a new structure and setting up business and, and going and attacking that way. You can see when the management team has that background because they start to talk the language of the sector right. and that's not to say they're not trying to be disruptive or mm. not trying to do something really mm. interesting mm. but they just you, you you see in the sales pitches you see in the in the pitches to investors actually they're talking about problems that will resonate in the industry yeah. and of course if you're in sell to the industry you want them to sit in that room and go oh yeah i, I recognize that problem mm. and they're able to bridge the gap and really the yeah great and in terms of um keeping the motivation of the team when it was uncomfortable. What, how did you do that? Um, so I want to say I had some great, you know, people management and leadership <laughs> style, uh, which I didn't. Um, well, I love they, your they, honesty because, <laughs> and, and it's interesting because what I'm, what I'm hearing already is the honesty that you have around where you made mistakes, where you could have looked back and done things differently. I think that's quite refreshing. And I think that is more um, a startup mentality than it is, um, you know, mentality of I've got all the answers already. Yeah. yeah. Um, I th- but I'm sure there were things that you did that kept everybody motivated. So... I think the biggest, so if I, if I look back on whatever it was, the three and a half years, three years I did that, if I look at my biggest, the biggest part of my role in that entire time mm. was effectively providing air cover to the team from the mothership. Mm. And that sounds a little aggressive because mm-hmm. KPMG was massively supportive. We mm. couldn't have done it mm. without broad and senior support mm. but actually a lot of my time was spent mm. look don't worry about what's going on over here mm. we know what we're doing we know mm. why we're doing it we know it's beneficial because the market was moving so quickly we could see that it was working yeah so you worry about that i'll worry about this mm-hmm. and somewhere in between we'll sort out a balance scorecard and all that sort of stuff yeah. which i'm not sure we ever did actually <laughs> but um you know it was very much almost don't worry about that. Mm. I, if if we sitting in a room, you know, which was in Shoreditch, think and can demonstrate what we're doing is right, mm. I'll deal with that piece. Mm. And actually, that motivated the team to go and do the stuff that they thought they needed to do mm. without thinking, oh, what happens if this doesn't work? Mm. Lots of stuff didn't work. Well, I, I'm pretty sure if, I, if you ever tallied it up, more stuff didn't work than it, um, than it did. Um, so I think there was definitely that piece about just... And I think that's a shift though as well, isn't it? From from the, um, you know, keep going because there are enough things that are working that you can let go of the things that aren't, as opposed to working in an organisation where you need to know the answers and everything needs to work right first time. Yeah, and I mean, of course we had some... Uh, uh, the, the market was helping us in mm. that respect. Mm-hmm. In that, you know, we're sitting in the Midlands and we've got, you know, um, a good technology and media sector. We've got a very big automotive manufacturing sector. Um, but actually, it's, you know, in the sort of 
traditional sense, quite a finite market. Mm -hmm. Therefore, you maybe can't experiment as much. And we're doing lots of interesting things in automotive manufacturing and tech and media. But um, if you're looking at that sort of traditional, you know, mid-market and up base, actually there's not that many, but relatively speaking, mm -hmm. to the, you know, 16,000 startups that get created in the Midlands every year. Uh, every year. Um, so actually the market let us do stuff because right. we knew that there was all, you know, do this with 100 and you could move on to another. And there was, there was mm -hmm. lots of market opportunity to mm -hmm. do that, which I think was, was interesting. Um which helped and then as i said the people self-selected mm. to, to a greater or lesser extent um so me trying to direct them was possibly not going to be yeah. <laughs> either successful or or, or positive anyway and probably not your style i'm either. not my style anyway so it sounds to me like you're a bit of a maverick does that resonate for you I, in I, any I, way i'm not sure i am actually no um in the I enjoy new things, mm. but I think if you had asked me that question eight years ago, mm. i.e. when I was at the back end of what it's now, and now I now class my traditional KPMG career, mm. I was, I looked absolutely normal. Mm. I had, I trained as an accountant, spent some time in consulting, spent some time in forensic, did big, I did all that normal stuff. Mm. So I'm not sure... I am. I like to do new things, as I said, and mm. that, that has accelerated. That, that a desire to do new things probably has accelerated mm. in the last few years. Mm. But I'm not sure, because I'd look at, you know, the entrepreneurs I know here, and you look at them and go, no, that's, you know, they, they are doing... You <laughs> They're know, the mavericks. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's a I'd, scale, isn't there? <laughs> there is, exactly. There, there's some sort of scale, and, and okay, I might be sort of away from, you know, one end of it. In, in yeah. Terms of it, but no, the... Um, the willingness of entrepreneurs to do stuff mm. um, is a number of degrees away mm. from <laughs> what you do sitting in a building like this. Yeah. So. so fast forward to where we are now. Yes. What What are your current challenges of leading through uncertainty? What are you facing now? That. Yeah. So it, it's a really interesting time, um, both for KPMG and the sector in the Midlands. Mm. Because you're still in the tech sector. Still in the yeah. tech sector, um, but now sort of transported a few miles further north into, into the Midlands. And I think the piece that is different, mm -hmm. um, and I don't like comparing and contrasting um, London to anywhere, really, because London, London is actually the outlier. Mm -hmm. London is you know, one of five or six global tech cities. Um, but if you look at the Midlands... Um, Lots of activity, um, lots of new activity, so new funds coming in, um, that sort of, uh, not that the entrepreneurial mindset wasn't there before, but maybe it's just being diverted a bit more into the tech sector as opposed to some other stuff. Mm -hmm. um, you've got some of our traditional um, industries and sectors really looking at technology and disruption now, so automotive, manufacturing, healthcare, all of our big sectors, public sector, all looking at, okay, this technology thing is coming, has come, has gone past us, depending on which way you want to look at it. Um, and they're looking at, okay, well, actually, how do our supply chains, how do our supply chains change? What do we need to do? How do we better serve our customers? So you've got these sort of structural elements. Mm. 
but what is interesting is some of the structures and processes in the Midlands are probably a, a little bit behind the curve. Mm-hmm. So actually, behind the curve in terms of in behind London or uh, yes, behind London, but more in terms of um, what are the the structures and processes that maintain and accelerate that momentum. Mm-hmm. So at the minute. We have some brilliant businesses in the Midlands, but we don't mm-hmm. shout about them, right. which means yeah. people don't have those sort of icons or case studies to go, I don't need to go to London, I don't need to go to Bristol and Bath, I can stay here. Mm-hmm. And at the minute, we I mean, we do that promotion in plenty of organisations, both public and private sector that do it, um, but we, we probably don't do enough of it. We don't do it coherently enough, mm-hmm. and therefore we're not building up that story that actually the Midlands is a great place to create your business, Mm. grow your business, bring Mm. your business to. And for us, that means that we, KPMG maybe has to create some of those structures um, as opposed to just sort of feed into them and and take our expertise into them. We maybe need to create them, which again is really interesting, Mm. but um, means again, if if we're talking about spectrums, we're probably slightly more at the build something slightly riskier end of that spectrum as opposed to well actually we can just feed in to something that's already there Mm. um but then that's why you know we created the rule that i've got Mm -hmm. in terms of well actually can we can we look at this a bit differently can we do some things that yeah ultimately of course we want to grow our business Mm. um but that's only going to happen if the market like the tech and media sector as well so um, it's about just combining those two things and saying well actually for those two things to occur in tandem and in a time scale that everybody is comfortable with Mm. okay we might have to do some things differently and and see how it goes Mm. Um, so yeah that's probably the biggest I'm not sure it's even a challenge actually because I think you know everybody in this building and most people around the region probably accept that that Mm. we are we the region and Doing lots of great stuff. Mm. We need to do more of it. We need to shout about it more. We need to, you know, do more of everything. Basically, mm. so what is it that keeps you awake at night then? That's a very good question. There's always a question as to, are we doing enough? Mm-hmm. So, I I would love to be able to, you know, sit in front of my laptop and go, here are the hundred businesses in the region, or hundred organisations in the region, that if I know, that if we know those organisations and we're working for a certain percentage of them, then we, that's our job done. Mm-hmm. Problem is you can't create the list because these businesses are, you know, being created and moved into the region, and people are going off and doing other things. Mm-hmm. So there's always this piece that is well. How do you keep on top of all of that? Mm-hmm. Because again, it's not that these businesses necessarily exhibit the traditional financial metrics that you would be able to create that list mm-hmm. from. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's always this piece about, you know, there are 
12, 15, 20 things that we could be doing. Mm. What are the, how, how do we decide those are the two or three things that are going to get us to a 90% picture? Mm. And that's really difficult because mm. there's no, there's no sort of standard against which you can set that. Mm. We know that we can um, look at the inputs to that. I, we can control what we do, but we're sort of slightly at the mercy of the market yeah. in relation to what the output is. Because mm. these are high-risk businesses. Mm. I mean, and anybody who says otherwise is is not telling the truth. Mm. Mm. So fundamentally, we've got to do what we think is right. Mm -hmm. We can do these leading indicators. We can see that actually, you know, we knew this business before they raised a load of money. That's great. But how do we scale that up and how do we ensure that we're not missing out? Yeah, and it's and it's a great example again of what is it to lead through uncertainty, where you're in an, in a in an environment that is fast changing and you don't know what you don't know, so you're always grasping and trying to find yes. find your way through it. Um, what would your advice be to other people who are facing something similar, where they don't know the answers and they're and they've still got to deliver something, <laughs> whatever the sector? Uh, what would be my advice? Um, Funny enough, it's only retrospectively. Mm. So in the, in the moment, if you'd asked me the question, I, I wouldn't have mm -hmm. been able to answer. Um, I found, so I had a very good, and he wouldn't call himself a mentor, and I wouldn't have called himself, I, I wouldn't have called him a mentor at the time, internally. Senior, um, senior guy, absolutely great really got what we were trying to do and we were able to have some conversations that I don't think traditionally we would have had mm. really important helped me navigate the firm mm. but then actually the biggest piece was I find some people like that outside of the firm right and they were able to give in a completely open environment mm. uh, sorry in a completely open way um viewpoints to both what we were trying to do mm. what I was doing and you know some of them were clients mm. and mm. Um, that was really important mm. because it helped me personally sort of articulate where we were, not from what I thought mm. we were doing, but from the outside world, the real world, depending on which yeah. way you want to look at. Um, so I think getting that, and, and, and whether that's an individual, whether it's in the organisation or out, it's just get somebody who can give you an external viewpoint. Mm. And I think there's great value in having, as you say, multiple viewpoints as well. I mean, I have about five different mentors, and probably none of them would call themselves a mentor. <laughs> yeah. But I have five, five or six people that I call up when I get stuck on various different yeah. things because it's always good to have a different, a different viewpoint. And I think particularly when you're navigating the unknown. Yeah. yeah. And I mean, I've, I've got it now in my current role. Um, you know, somebody who is very different to me but I find that really valuable because mm. they can go that's not what are you talking about mm. that's mm. never going to fly mm. because of these reasons and it's brilliant and it helps just, expand it, your world it does it just well. brings you it just helps you just come back to okay what are we trying to do mm. how are we going to do it mm. okay that's that's wacky and good that's wacky and not good <laughs> okay right let's, let's, find, let's find a place in between yeah. so. <laughs> Excellent. So, um, one last question then. Oh, yeah. What would your top tip be to any aspiring leader? So, there's the cliche of surround yourself by really good people. Mm. 
which is absolutely it's cliche because it's true. Mm. Um, I think the biggest piece, in addition to surrounding yourself by really good people, is surround yourself by different people. Mm. Um, in certain cases, when you're doing something new, it's it's the only way you're going to get to an answer that's right. You because, almost want the, the naysayers, don't you? You want the, the people to challenge your thinking. That's slightly different. <laughs> so you absolutely do want those, but you want those in the second conversation, not the first one. Yes, yeah. <laughs> you, you need to surround yourself by two groups. Uh, yeah, actually, so your answer, my answer is probably slightly nuanced. So you need two groups of people. For the first conversation, you need lots of different viewpoints who will just sit there and go, oh, we could do this, 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 and this. Mm. Then you do, you absolutely need the second group of people mm. Mm. who are the, um, the, the not the, the counterbalance mm. yeah. to that, which is okay, that's interesting. But, yeah. Um, well, they throw up the obstacles and the challenges that then you can kind of think your way around, can't they? Yeah, and... Um, they don't need to derail you. They, they don't. You know, um, they, they can actually be helpful in saying, these are the challenges you're likely to face that you haven't considered. Yeah, and it's um, it's Amazon. I don't know whether they still do it, but they do a um, part of their product management piece, which I, I we never fully implemented, but it's a really good thought process. So they do a... Um, part of their product management is um, they write the press release for the new product before they've even started to do anything right and then they get everybody in the room legal risk finance and they they go through it and they review it and they go well actually if we're going to say this it's going to be a risk and does that mean and it's that sort of process mm, mm. Is, is really interesting as i said it we, we we never implemented it fully but it's an interesting one if you can get that if you've got an idea of what you want to do yeah put these people in the room up front mm. and then solve the problems solve the difficult problems first mm. great Thank you, Tim. It's Pleasure. been fantastic to talk to you. Lots of lots of interesting things there to uh, for everyone to mull over, and certainly for me as well as a as my own startup business. So uh, thank you very much for your time. Pleasure. I really enjoyed talking to Tim. He's honest about how uncomfortable it is when we don't have all the answers, and he openly admits the mistakes he made and how, in hindsight, he could have done things differently. I think that's always going to be true when we lead through uncertainty. We don't have all the answers and stepping into the unknown does require a different level of resilience and an ability to sit with the discomfort of not knowing. I think it's fantastic that organisations like KPMG are working with entrepreneurial businesses. I think that's a win-win for everyone, the traditional large organisations, the startups, but also the economy. And the West Midlands in the UK is certainly expanding rapidly due in large part to tech business growth. Long may it continue. I know Tim denies it, but I still think he's a bit of a maverick, don't you? That's it for this podcast. I was your host, Jude Jennison from Leaders by Nature. Keep leading and I'll come back soon with the next interview on Leading Through Uncertainty. Mm-hmm.